Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. When people are injured due to negligence or while on the job, they need all the help they can get. Doctors Armin Feldman and Mike Bummer help ensure they get it. Join them as they discuss the newest medical subspecialty of medical legal consulting. Learn how attorneys can gain a competitive advantage in PI, workers' comp, and medical malpractice cases. Armin and Mike can help you better understand the medical issues in your cases, leading to larger settlement amounts and the best possible medical care for clients. They can help save you time and increase case value, all without breaking the bank. Let's get started. Welcome to this episode. I'm Dr. Armin Feldman, and I'm here with my friend, colleague, and partner in physicians, legal consultants, Dr. Mike Bummer. Hi, Mike. Hi, Armin, and hello to all of our listeners out there. So today, Mike and I were talking, and we thought, you know, we almost always include a case. We've kind of gotten into a rhythm of what we do, and we thought, let's shake it up this time. Let's do something that's a little bit different. So what we're going to do is talk about two common injuries, two common problems that clients of attorneys experience uh, when they're injured in uh, auto accidents, in work-related injuries, uh, in uh, auto pet accidents, and so forth. So we're going to cover a couple of things. We're not really going to talk about a case. And when Mike and I were talking about this, Mike thought that he might do something on shoulder injuries, right, Mike? Exactly. I, I felt that rather than you know a, a, a very straightforward bone fractures or spine injuries, which really are some of the most common injuries we, we give our opinions about, shoulder injury can be a little bit sneakier. And there's a whole spectrum of, you know, uh, humerus, which is the big bone at the upper part of the arm, humerus fractures mm -hmm. that injure the shoulder. And then there's also these little tiny muscles that are, we, we all know as the rotator cuff. But I feel like a lot of people, especially those who aren't physicians or surgeons, it's kind of a little bit not so clear what these rotator cuff muscles are and why they're so sensitive. And I just found I had a few cases recently that involved shoulder pain and it was mm -hmm. something that I was diagnosing kind of, uh, or suggesting treatments or, or workup after the injuries had occurred that was new to my attorney client. And I thought this would be a little bit more exciting and, and something a little bit different just to talk about shoulders. Great. And, and you're, why don't you go ahead and, and spoil the surprise and tell us what, okay. what then you're going to talk about. Great. So I have actually seen this with a fair degree of frequency, and that is temporomandibular joint disorder or uh, TM, uh, TG, TMJ. And so I'll be talking about that. Excellent. So jumping into shoulders, the, the shoulder joint is a ball and socket joint that is very critical to day-to-day -day functioning. And I think until, gosh, I'm in my 40s, and until I, I hit some point in my mid-30s, I didn't realize the sensitivity of the shoulder muscle. I think when we're all younger, we take it for granted. You know, I watch my daughter doing these gymnastics exercises and I swear my shoulder aches just watching the way she twists and bends. <laughs> right. And so 
these clients who get into car crashes, and as you know, Armin, a lot of our clients who are in crashes are uh, well over uh, their 50s, 60s, into their 70s and 80s. The shoulder joint is more sensitive and it is Mm -hmm. very prone to injury and it's because of these rotator cuff muscles. Now, I had mentioned the humerus bone and Mm -hmm. I've actually fractured my humerus bone. In college, Mm -hmm. it was a traumatic uh, fracture that I was fortunate to heal from. But the top of that humerus bone can fracture and I've had cases where that was uh, injured in a car crash and that creates a real problem for the rotator cuff muscles. And that resulted in uh, the person needing a surgery and follow-up physical therapy for quite some time. And I was able to include that in the report. But what I found and I thought would be a little more interesting to put on the radar for our attorney listeners is that these rotator cuff muscles are tiny. They're almost like yeah. they're almost like little rubber bands. And they uh, actually, a lot of physical trainers, and Armin as someone who lifts weights and, and does a fair amount of physical activity, you know that there are specific rotator cuff exercises that are mm-hmm. best done with bands, not even weights right. per se, to strengthen these little uh, connections, little rubber bands that keep the shoulder joint intact and allow these various motions overhead. And uh, the the complaints that I'm eliciting in my phone interviews with these clients of my attorneys is that they're saying things like, you know, I, I can't pull the weeds in my garden anymore. I have to have mm. my husband come out and, and pull weeds because it hurts my shoulder. And then I've had people say, I, I don't do the laundry anymore because I can't even lift three or four towels over my head to put them on a shelf. Right. So actually, Mike, that reminds me of something. I don't think I mentioned this to you, but you, yeah, you're right. I do lift weights. I've been doing it for over 25 years. So a couple of weeks ago, I was doing something I've done, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of times. I was doing this thing called lateral raises, and the weight amount was the usual amount that I've been using recently. And I do the exercise four sets of 10, and everything goes well, finish up the whole uh, day's exercises. And I get upstairs, I'm sitting on the couch, and all of a sudden, I've got this pain on the outside of my shoulder and where my deltoid muscle is. And so um I moved my arm just inadvertently kind of over my head. And all of a sudden I go, ouch, you know, and uh, I can't tell you how, un- it, but I was lucky it went away in about a week, but I w- I can't tell you how annoying that was. Um, with, even without thinking about it, you know, I went up to scratch the top of my head and all of a sudden I'm, uh, I got this sharp pain in my shoulder. So not being able to use your shoulder as you normally do uh, with things that you don't even think about uh, can be very uh, annoying. And if the pain is bad enough, it can be pretty upsetting. Yeah. And what I'm seeing when I do these interviews, because by the time most cases, I feel like by the time they're getting to us for consultation and for these comprehensive medical summary reports, they are a year or two in the making and mm-hmm. the attorney has collected a lot of records. The, their client has seen multiple treating doctors. And so we're seeing them sometimes 8, 12, 24 months later, or, you know, speaking to them. And this shoulder pain is nagging. And it yeah. is something that is draining and really limiting their ability. I had a case recently where the woman was in her 60s 
and she swore that it was probably this shoulder pain that may have pretty much retired her from what mm. she was doing as a job. And shame. the same woman had not had a shoulder x-ray or MRI done. So it was an easy slam dunk for me to really tease out how this shoulder pain was impacting her life. I made the recommendation to get an MRI of the shoulder. She was going to need to see an orthopedic surgeon who specialized in shoulder injuries and was probably at the very least going to need continued physical therapy. And ultimately, I believed based upon the literature I've read and where she was at uh, and that it had been over two years that she was likely going to need rotator cuff surgery. And right. even if she didn't have a full tear of her rotator cuff muscle, even partial tears are, uh, especially in older individuals, extremely problematic. The, the, the blood supply to those tiny muscles and the shoulder joint do not heal real well. Mm -hmm. And so these are very, uh, very difficult for our attorney's clients to deal with. And I, I just feel like whenever these are coming up in our reports, I feel fortunate to be able to really appropriately represent the degree to which this shoulder injury is affecting them. Right. So that would have been a pretty big damage in that case too. Yeah. I, I believe these, uh, you know, in our report, I always look at what various surgeries and, and things cost geographically, but it was, it was really significant. Yeah. And I felt very comfortable giving that opinion for that future cost because the, clearly the, this woman and uh, the multiple others that have come through recently in the past 12 months, it, it's not a real hard one to diagnose because you, you, you get them on the phone and you start asking about their day-to-day -day life. And almost immediately, because of how integral the shoulder functioning is to life, you start to realize, you know, they, they say things like difficulty driving because of the position of the shoulder, or, mm -hmm. you know, I had mentioned doing some other tasks around the house. Yeah. So the functional losses become a, a big part of what we're writing about. Oh, absolutely. And it's also a really easy connection to, to recommend that they be considered for surgery and uh, see an orthopedic specialist because the only ones who can treat this, there, there, isn't, a, there isn't a lot of wiggle room on paths to uh, recovery. Although I should mention that it does come up that sometimes in minor injuries, we've talked on this channel about platelet-rich plasma injections. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly an opportunity to try those modalities. And I've recommended that for uh, a few of the shoulder pain um, injuries that I've, that I've consulted on. Right. Well, would you like to talk about what I think is to me, a shoulder pain is, is a little bit more in your face. It's, it's, it's clear and present, but I think that I'm curious to hear how you have linked up TMJ and uh, how, how you've been able to um, discuss that with regards to the car crash injuries that you've, you've consulted on. Yeah, sure. Not only do I see it in car crashes, but uh, I've seen it in work-related accidents and slip and falls and uh, bicycle accidents, auto pet accidents, all, all kinds of different things. So um, uh, what made me think of it is a, a recent case that I had. And I, I'm not going to go into much of the case, but let me just set the stage. 
So this was, uh, as I said, a recent case that I consulted on. It was a 49-year-old woman who was rear-ended at a traffic light. And the offending vehicle was traveling at a really high rate of speed. And this client sustained multiple injuries and presented with several ongoing medical problems, including neck pain, low back pain, depression, and also temporomandibular joint disorder. So in the case, uh, we found that the client the client got an, uh, a cervical MRI, and she had objective evidence of nerve root impingement due to a ruptured cervical disc. And uh, in my opinion, the mechanism of the action was a whiplash event. So after the car crash, the client was diagnosed with bilateral temporomandibular joint dislocations. She reported, I'm going to quote her here, my jaw is disconnected and it doesn't hang right. So she also reported significant pain in both jaws, which was made worse by chewing. Mike, she had to give up certain foods that were too hard for her to chew. Uh, she also uh, told me that the TMJ problems were causing her difficulty in pronouncing certain common words. And I think it's important to say that she didn't have any jaw pain prior to the accident. accident. She had no previous history of jaw dislocations or problems. And as I said a moment ago, TMJ is actually a fairly common problem after auto accidents. So the common symptoms of TMJ are uh, pain, which it can be severe, or tenderness in the face, pain in the joint, neck, shoulders, uh, and or in and around the ear. Uh, other symptoms include a limited ability to open the mouth wide, jaws that get stuck or lock in the open or closed mouth position, clicking, popping, grating sounds in the jaw when opening or closing the mouth. And for most people, difficulty chewing, which really, really affects the quality of life. For anyone who's ever had dental work done or anything in that area, I have to say I relate completely. I mean, as you're describing this, I'm just uh, thinking of how inconvenient and frustrating that those symptoms would be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's something, obviously, you're not going to be thinking about until all of a sudden you have a problem there. Do you ask all of your... Uh, in your phone interviews with mm -hmm. these, with especially people with whiplash injury, do you ask questions that would elicit if they're having TMJ disorder? Yes. Yeah. Oftentimes it's going to be in the medical records, right? But it is one of those things where we might be the first ones making the diagnosis. Absolutely. Yeah. So in one study I reviewed of post-auto accident TMJ patients, jaw, head, and neck pain and jaw dysfunction uh, continued to be problems for the majority of the injured people. And interestingly, those with settled claims appeared similar to those who had not settled with respect to ongoing TMJ problems. 
And in, in another study, uh, women were found to present for TMH, uh, for treatment of TMJ more commonly than men at a ratio of five to two. Now, hmm. this study uh, also said that 75% of the uh, subjects in the study complained of symptoms of TMJ immediately after the accident and approximately 96% within two months of the accident. So uh, TMJ is actually most common in rear end collisions. And that's certainly where I've seen it the most. Uh, in fact, TMJ is actually remarkably uh, common after being rear-ended. Although, Mike, I'll tell you, I saw a very severe case of TMJ after a, a bicycle rider went over the handlebars and he hit his head on the pavement. Uh, the case had a lot to do with that. He was wearing a helmet, but the helmet fractured. It broke, and it was actually a product liability case. But this guy had a horrible case of TMJ. Now, uh, in one study I reviewed, uh, it reported that uh, jaw symptoms and signs may also develop, I think this is important, after low speed uh, impacts, especially in rear end collisions. Now, another study reported that individuals with a recent whiplash trauma report more jaw pain and disability compared with those without a history of neck trauma. I think that's a really important thing. In fact, the correlation between neck and jaw pain intensity, uh, that implies that the intensity of the uh, neck pain in the immediate stage after the whiplash trauma uh, might be a real risk factor for the development of chronic ear and facial pain with TMJ. So there's really good evidence in the medical literature that uh, TMJ pain is definitely increased after whiplash trauma. And uh, poor treatment outcome with whiplash suggests that the TMJ pain after whiplash trauma, it, it might have a different pathophysiology compared to the TMJ pain that's localized in the facial region. So there's some question about what really causes this jaw pain, this TMJ dislocation, if there is one, but in people that get this after an accident. It doesn't always have to be a whiplash event, uh, but uh, the mechanism of action in many of these cases is a whiplash. So uh, based on all of these findings, it, it's thought that uh, that if you have treatment that's just limited to the TMJ uh, joints in post-traumatic TMJ people, that that treatment may fail if there isn't a proper consideration that's given to, to the fact that the pain may originate in structures other than the uh, TMJs. Like, um, <clears throat> and this is certainly true uh, in people uh, that have neck injuries. Do, so, what, uh, what has been your recommended diagnostic workup and or the specialty that is best 
treating and diagnosing these injuries then? Yeah, that is such a good question because um, I was going to actually talk about that. So you read my mind. So there are dentists who actually specialize in the diagnosis and treatment of TMJ. So typically when I suspect this based on the symptoms that I was talking about, what I'll do is uh, let the attorney know that and then the attorney will help their client uh, to get to one of these TMJ specialist dentists. Uh, and the interesting thing is, I see in my community, there are like a handful of these dentists that treat, that diagnose and treat TMJ. And I see their names uh, repeatedly in the medical records that I review. Like a lot of problems and accidents, time sometimes can be the best treatment, but um, a certain number of people will experience chronic TMJ problems after an accident. And this is what this is all performed by these dentists, but splints, trigger point injections are often prescribed to treat TMJ. Uh, sometimes there has to be some speech therapy. And then in particularly severe cases, jaw surgery may uh, actually be required. So I thought it was worthwhile to just give some overview of that because uh, I'll tell you, over the years, particularly in these rear-end accidents, I I've seen this quite often. It's fascinating. I thought that's a, that's a very good topic. I, I think that our listeners, uh, if nothing else, it puts it on their radar to yeah. because the, the injured client very rarely knows how to always represent the symptoms they're having. They, they might right. even feel strange or that it's uh, weird that they are saying their mouth hurts after a crash. Whereas if asked about it, I can almost picture this happening. They're like, yeah, you know what? That That's bothered me since that time. I just didn't put two and two together. I thought, you know, and then you start to connect these events and lo and behold, you have a you have a very reasonable uh, new injury that that is attributable to a crash. Yeah, you're so right about that. So I think that's true, really, of any symptoms that are foreign. For example, cognitive problems uh, with uh, mild traumatic brain injury, or these. Uh, symptoms that happen in the mouth and in the jaw, they're just so foreign to the person that's experiencing them that uh, oftentimes they don't pop up in the medical records right away. They, they certainly have the symptoms right from the beginning, but they don't pop up in the medical records sometimes days, weeks, or even months after uh, the event because this is such a, a foreign experience for the person. Or there's some injury that's really taking the limelight. I've had, I've had a number of cases where a knee injury or a hip fracture has really stolen the attention away from a shoulder injury. And, right. you know, whenever someone can't walk, they're not as worried about uh, how they're driving or how they're putting away laundry exactly. if they're using crutches. And so right. the, it, it, but what happens is, as we've said, and, you know, toot, toot, toot in our own horn here, we get this 30,000 foot view 
of the entire case and all the different various treating doctors, sometimes we see these things that pop out and we can address into each one individually because we don't have to just focus on the TBI or just on the knee pain, but we, we, see, it, we see it all. Yeah, bingo. Anything else on this? No, no, let's wrap it up. Great session. Well, if you enjoy our podcast, we certainly would appreciate it if you give us a five-star rating. If you have a case or if you have a question or a comment, you can always reach us at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. And we look forward to having you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. For more information about the show and to listen to all the podcast episodes, go to physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can also email Armin and Mike at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. Music